Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, quitting or starting a job with style. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no Thanks again for listening to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we're going to tackle something really tough, and that is, what are the best practices for leaving a job? And then, what should you do to start off a job on the right foot? As always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And happy holidays, guys. Happy holidays. I can't believe we're already here. I know oh it's gosh. it's December and the new year is just around the corner and with the new year many people are thinking about a new start so maybe that means quitting a job or taking a new job or seeking out new opportunities but you know Becky one of the things we don't often talk about enough is how do you quit a job that you're just not happy at so I'd like to start off this conversation today by getting a veterinary technician's perspective on quitting your job. Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind when I think about quitting a job is that short timer syndrome. And, you know, we see it in a lot of people when they get to that end point and they, they're working out those last two weeks is, you know, things go unfinished and, and maybe it's hard to get them to engage as much. And how do we kind of leave with grace and make sure that we're not burning any bridges um, and, and still keep our heart in it right up to the end? Yeah, and Cindy, before I jump in as an owner or manager perspective, I mean, from a, a veterinary associate perspective, maybe a technician is quitting their job or your one of your best friend associates is leaving. You know, what what are some of the things that you think about for best practices? Yeah, so one of the things that comes to mind for me is just how small our profession is. Talk about seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's, <laughs> it's much fewer degrees in the veterinary profession. So I think it's important for all team members to continue to be professional, to continue to be hardworking as they can, because you never, ever know in this profession when you're going to encounter the same people again. Right. And I guess I'll start off from an owner perspective, and that is like, well, what's the proper amount of notice that you should even give? Now, it's going to vary in our clinics from the, the roles of an associate veterinarian versus like a veterinary technician or support staff, because typically, Cindy, you're going to have a contract that stipulates in very specific language what you must do. So for us, you know, it was typically a four week notice. Uh, Cindy, what, what does your contract look like? Yeah, so um, I believe my contract is currently 30 days. So you've got a legal stipulation, a contract that says you have to give a certain amount of notice. But Becky, you know, that those rules don't often apply to veterinary technicians. What is like your standard notice that you feel a veterinary technician should give? Yeah, I think I stick pretty hard with that minimum of two weeks notice. And I think it depends somewhat on your role within a clinic. You know, with veterinary technician specialists coming up and and technicians playing more of a role, if you're perhaps in charge of management or you're in charge of inventory or you're playing a, a more dedicated role within the practice that's going to be harder to train someone else to do or to replace, you may want to look at a longer time frame. But I think at least a minimum of two weeks notice is absolutely standard and we really can't be doing any less than that. Yeah, and then I'm going to flip this back to the owner perspective. And so let's say, Becky, that you have just given me or my manager 
uh, your two-week notice, and you're a, a good you know, technician or whatever, but maybe things just haven't been great lately, and we sort of knew it was coming, but now you finally dropped the bomb on, on us. So what I'm going to do as an owner is I have to decide one of two things. Do I keep you for the two weeks, or do I just go ahead and let you go? Mm-hmm. Now, Cindy, before I jump into some of my experiences, what, what's your perspective on, on that? Because that's the decision that I am faced with as an owner or a manager. Yeah, and and I think there are some additional complications when it's an associate veterinarian because if there are contractual obligations, there may be some financial obligations to that right. as well, depending on whether or not you know you can turn that into oh well we're firing you for cause versus th- this person is is just quitting and giving their notice. Um, that may be different when you have an at will employee like a technician or receptionist, depending on uh, what the laws are in your state. So um, I, I think. Unfortunately, many practices have bad experiences where employees may have sabotaged the practice right. or may have, you know, gone on to review the practice in bad terms. So I think, unfortunately, it may end up being a little bit case by case to try and, and make it as smooth an ending as possible. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, you know, in, in 25 years of doing this, I would say that probably 75% of the time, we just go ahead and say, here's a check for whatever your, you know, two weeks or four weeks notice was. Uh, good luck, and, and it was nice knowing you. Because, Becky, you mentioned it at the outset, short-timer syndrome. We have seen it go badly more times than not. So let's say you want to avoid some of those disasters. What are the things that you should be doing? Like maybe even how, how should you communicate to your boss that you're not going to fall into those traps? Yeah, it's so interesting to me because of, of all the jobs that I've quit, for the most part, it has been um, having to relocate or or just kind of getting to the end of my time there. And it's never been a question to work out the two weeks. And I think my feelings would be so hurt if someone handed me a check and said, you know, we're good, go ahead and go. So I'm glad I've never had that experience. But it's interesting, I could see where the concern for maybe taking clients with you or um, kind of talking poorly about the clinic or letting people know even where you're going to go and potentially stealing those clients is is a major concern. And, and, it, and it could be an issue. So I can totally understand doing that. But I think it's important to have an open conversation about why why you're leaving and let them know it's for bigger, better things and that you still really enjoy the time that you've had there. You've learned a lot and, and let them feel comfortable in knowing that it's just a growing step for you more than I anything that you would be wanting to sabotage or, or end up being a short timer. Absolutely. I, mean, I think it's also important, though, for practices to keep in mind that There are definitely specific reasons that people leave a practice, but you should also pay attention to the reasons people are staying at your practice. Right. So, and those things may be really different. So if there is a really amazing practice, a lot of people will find reasons to stay. Um, If the practice doesn't have compelling reasons to stay, it's a lot easier to find reasons to leave. Um, And unfortunately, while in some cases like Becky's, I know as being part of a a military family as well, that plays a role in in why you may need to relocate. Um, Sometimes the reason somebody is leaving may be a more PC excuse for cultural problems at the practice. So that's something practice owners should just look at and they should probably compare their uh, turnover to industry averages to see if that's in line with the rest of the profession. 
Well, and it makes me want to ask both of you from a associate veterinarian and a management standpoint. One thing I think a lot of technicians experience when they give their notice is a negotiating standpoint. All of a sudden you're called into the office and they want to talk to you about why you're leaving and if it's money or offer you more money. And I know in my experiences, I've always kind of thought to myself, this is a point of contention for me. Um, If you had more money to offer me, if I was worth more to you, it, it doesn't seem like driving me to be giving two weeks notice is a good idea. And I know in a lot of cases, technicians experience this. They give their notice and then they're offered a raise or vacation or some alternative um, negotiation to stay. What are your thoughts on that and, and what should that response be? Yeah, Becky, that's a really interesting scenario you've painted. And and one I would sadly say is more the minority of, of my experiences. And, and that is that you're basically saying you caught management off guard. Typically, we have had hints and, and innuendos that this was coming. And in fact, most of the time when people are leaving a job, at least in my experience, it's, you know, we kind of knew this was was happening. Things were deteriorating around the edges. And so, you know, it was really a matter of who's going to who's gonna blink first, right? I'm going to fire you or you're going to quit. And, and so I think that in those situations where I've had employees, whether they're doctors or technicians or whatever, and they're moving because their husband is relocated or they've got a better opportunity in another you know, area, state, whatever, you know, we've been, just like you said, we've been you know, very open and welcoming and that, those have been wonderful transitions. But it's the 80% of the situations where you know, they're quitting because like Cindy said, it's a cultural issue, there's a problem that's, a, that's developed. You know, those are the ones where you know, we have to, to kind of go back to that other conversation of, you know, do you just go ahead and write the check and say, you know, thanks a lot? Well, and I think, Becky, you highlight a really important point, which is that is management showing their team that they're valued? And does that team member feel valued? And there certainly, I think, are practices where that's not the case. And unfortunately, in my experience, there there have been practices where the team members did not feel the practice was valuing them. Um, I feel like there are certain situations in our profession, both because of some of the gender dynamics that we have. We know that um, in some situations, women are less likely to ask for raises, to ask for benefits. Um on their own. And also there are other situations where women are less likely to receive those raises and benefits even when they ask. Um, so, so there's this feeling and, and I've heard from some managers who say, well, they never asked, so I'm not going to go handing (laughs) out money if nobody asks. But I think, you know, now in Which is ridiculous, by the way, Cindy. That, right. I mean, that, it's a ridiculous <laughs> right. attitude of management to well, take Well, thank to take you that for position. saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, but I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. And, and I think it's like we're taking this approach with women in leadership now, too. We're saying, well, we know women often won't seek these opportunities unless we ask them to. And so, uh, you know, I think we can understand that and understand that these team members to to know that they are valued, we may need to go to them and to figure out what helps them feel valued so that they don't leave our practices and and leave our practices in the lurch. And I'd like to say to listeners today that um, this is the time of year when I really 
self-evaluate. You know, this is something that I've, it's been a practice of mine as long as I've been an adult, but this is the time of year to, to really take stock. And if you don't feel valued at your job, you need to find out why and can you do something to change that? Because this is the time of year for renewal and recharge. And, and I think you should, you know, look into December and January as times to make those big changes. And I'll tell you two reasons. Number one, I think it's just a, a natural tendency to fall upon this time of year to, to re, you know, analyze our life. But number two, if you're going to make a move, this is a great time of year in the veterinary profession because typically clinics are less busy during that, you know, December to maybe February time period. So it's a great time to, to transition in or out. And, and so I would much rather lose a staff member, you know, in January than I would in July. Absolutely. And I think when people find that they're not satisfied in their job, sometimes they consider leaving that job entirely. Sometimes they consider even leaving the profession entirely, which makes us all very, very sad. Um, But also consider that sometimes just changing your job, whether that's to another part of the profession or whether that's working part time or some people even choose to specialize can make you more satisfied um, with your role in our profession. So just something to think about. Yeah, and Becky, I'd like to get your your opinion on this because let's say you're in a in a clinic and you don't feel valued, you're not feeling satisfied. I mean, you used to love your job there, but suddenly the past six months or so, things just are off the rails and you just don't feel that warmth and love and passion that you once did. One of the strategies that Cindy is proposing, and I certainly have employed this numerous times in my career as an owner and manager, is to say, can we shift your roles, your responsibilities? Can we find your passion somewhere else? Or should I say, rekindle your passion and in another capacity in our, our clinic. What happens if a manager is astute enough and attentive enough and brings that to you? Is that a viable option instead of quitting? Yeah. So what I want to say, and I hope it's as profound as it sounds in my head, is that it's really going to be up to the recipient. And the reason that I can say that is because I've been on two sides of receiving that comment. And as a more mature, developed person who can understand and appreciate criticism as a positive thing in my life, I would say that's an amazing step for a manager to take. And that's an outstanding step for a manager to take to show that they're invested in me and my happiness and and understanding that I might not be happy right now. That being said, if you are going to take that from a defensive, immature, undeveloped standpoint out of a place of insecurity, which I think is where a lot of technicians stay because of the nature of our job, then they become very insecure and angry and defensive at that standpoint and at that at that statement instead of understanding what the value of it really is. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Now, Cindy, from an associate veterinarian standpoint, you know, the other check down position that we get is not just leaving your job, mm-hmm. but sometimes asking for reduction in hours. And that's something I, yeah. I see as a potential problem because, you know, when I when I see a veterinarian, a young veterinarian who's, you know, let's say in their, their late 20s, early 30s, and they're suddenly going, you know, I'd like to go to part time unless it's to raise a child or, you know, take care of a family member, you know, unless there's a a really good reason. I sometimes worry, have they started into burnout, you know, area? Uh, What do you you think about, you know, the check down of just saying reducing hours? Will I find happiness by working less? Because I I have found, me personally, before I get your opinion, (laughs) I'll Mm -hmm. just jump in. You know, I found that when people say, you know what, I'm just not happy because I'm working too much, that's really a false flag. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not that you're working less will make you happier. You got to be happy in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, you know, I've fallen into that trap a couple times myself. And I, I find what's surprising to me is sometimes when I cut back on the amount I'm working, I actually end up 
being less productive and less happy, which I find interesting. Um, some of the times that I've been the happiest is actually when I diversify my workload. So when I'm, yes, doing practice, but sometimes doing some other things as well. And, and one of the reasons that stands out to me is because when 100% of your effort is going towards something like practice, which on a, a given day can be really challenging, um, and maybe you had just one day where you were euthanizing everything that day, or you had really tough cases, or all the clients were really difficult. So much of our identity often gets wrapped up in who we are as medical professionals that it can really drag you down, especially if that goes on day after day. So I I tend to encourage folks to find uh, something to focus on um, in addition to kind of general practice, whether that's a particular topic they want to specialize in, whether that's organized veterinary medicine. For me, uh, it was teaching veterinary technicians um, that can help them feel like there's another area of their life they can can be successful in. Yeah. And, and I will say, if you're listening today and you are unhappy, you've lost some of the joy, there are two big takeaways from this. Number one, you've got to take care of yourself mentally, mm-hmm. physically, and spiritually. I mean, we don't talk about that enough as a profession. I mean, I know, Cindy, you've done great strides in working on wellness, but you and I know we have a long way yeah. to go. But you know, this is one of the reasons why, I mean, I did Ironman for all those years, even though I was practicing 60 hours a week, because that was my way to center and focus. Of course, nutrition, you know, meditation, all those are just daily habits that I think have gotten me a long way. But the second thing, in, in my opinion, also is to find meaning in your work. Mm-hmm. You know, we often use the word happiness, and I always sort of get a little bristly about that because I don't know that it's really happiness that we're pursuing, but it's that meaningfulness in our life. And so, you know, you, you know like I'm not always happy doing my work. You know, I mean, because there are days when, like you said, there's all euthanasias or all problem clients or whatever, but I find meaning in it. I find that I'm finding that joy in the fact that I'm accomplishing and helping and, and maybe making the world just a little bit better. I don't know. What thoughts on that? I might bounce that to Becky and say, um, and Becky, like, how, what do you think about that? And how do you deal with some of those times where you're just dragging professionally? I mean, I think that they go in cycles just with life and it's up to those people around you to rally with you. And I think when I get in those places and I think about like what Dr. Ernie said, where you feel like everything around you is just going to be bad that day. It's why it's so important to have strong work cultures, strong management, a good sense of who you are in your profession and who the people are around you so that you can say, I see you're having an off day and here I brought you a mocha latte because I know that's what makes you so happy (laughs) because sometimes Sometimes it really is just about a cup of coffee to get you through that day because it's not a bad life. It's just a bad five minutes. Well, well, that brings me to another interesting, you know, question, and that is, do we sometimes make these decisions rashly? Like Becky said, you know, we had a really bad week or even a bad month in life. And then do we say, you know what, I'm making these big changes. I mean, Cindy, where do you draw those lines? You get what I'm saying? I mean, does people just say, gosh, this place sucks because that day sucked. And then they make a decision that could impact them for for decades. Absolutely. And sometimes it's a out of the frying pan into the fire kind of situation, right? right? Where you think that the situation you're in is is negative and maybe you change into a situation that's not as good. So yeah, I think it's important for us to sit down and, and realistically analyze 
how much of this is related to us and how much we're taking care of ourselves and finding meaning, how much of it is related to our workplace culture, um, how much of it is related to how much we still love what we're what we're doing. Um, now, that being said, I don't think that should be an excuse. Certainly, there are times where workplace culture really is the problem, where it really isn't a good fit. And there are better opportunities out there and you shouldn't feel trapped. Um, and I think a lot of times we put a lot of fear into change or we feel very scared of doing something different um, when it could potentially really improve our lives. Now, Becky, I've got one other little question here for you around this whole notice and and how to be a better quitter than, you know, and then when I want to talk, talk a little bit about starting a new job. But um what are some of the things I, I can I can remember a case years ago where we were short staffed and we had a staff member who was who had to leave, you know, and, and this was a good leaving. She you know, was being her husband had taken another job, blah, blah, blah. And I remember sitting her down and saying, listen, I, I know the tendency during these last two weeks is to sort of slack off or whatever. But I want to know, number one, if we can you know, agree that you're going to give it still 110 percent, you know, for the last two weeks. And number two, at what point should we? announce this to the staff and I, I don't want to tell you how I solved that until I hear your thoughts on it but so now you've got this good leaving this good separation when do you tell the rest of the staff that's a good point um I think honestly for me because I am a very transparent person if you know me at all <laughs> it's that right away because I want everybody I don't like secrets and so if something happens and it's three days before I leave and now you tell me but I find out you gave two weeks notice I guess I'm gonna understand but I'm gonna be kind of sad that I wasn't in the loop on that as much as possible if you know this is a good employee if you know this is gonna be a good separation if you know they're giving a hundred percent and I guess to some extent, it kind of gives you the opportunity to let all the staff know you're going to be looking, hiring, networking. We all need to band together and we can get everybody to be on the same page. So for me, I think if you know it, share it if that's possible. Is there even privacy in veterinary hospitals? I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. And the reason and the way we solved this was we actually this was a, a you know, we were a small team at the time. I think we probably had maybe 12 total employees uh, at the main clinic. And so what we did was we actually brought in lunch for everybody the next day. And we sat down and this young lady was so poised. She actually announced and explained what was going to happen. And she was saying, listen, you know, uh, I'm going to make sure that this transition goes smoothly. And it did. I mean, so I would say that's the ideal situation. Now, this is getting back to that original thing where maybe it's not an ideal separation. That's when I'm willing to write that check. And if you're an owner manager out there, I will tell you this. You've got to be very cautious. If you expect them to hang on for that last two weeks and give their best effort and it's not a perfect separation, you're fooling yourself. It can be very dangerous. You know, my wife, Laura, will tell you it is so worth it to pay those people just to leave because you don't know what damage they could they could they could create. And from the employee perspective, when you make that announcement, it I think it's wise um, to understand that that might be what happens. Um, that when I went to my current employers and I said, hey, I want to make some adjustments in the number of hours that I'm working because I'm I'm also doing this podcast and, and doing some other work in industry, I, I fully understood that they might decide that that didn't work for them and they might decide to let me go there on the spot. So I think it's it's wise to be prepared. Yep. Now let's let's go to the other side, the starting the new job. So Becky, first day of work, from a veterinary technician perspective, what are the things that you want to do, you want to see in your practice from that new employee? 
So for me, I think being a veterinary technician starting in a practice is terrifying. And the reason is, in my experience, I've been one of the only registered techs on the floor when I come in. And a lot of times the experience previously with staff that have other veterinary technicians who are credentialed come in is a negative one. And so it's this fine line of coming in and being like, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not here to do your job or to be entitled. So I think it's very important to listen your first day, your first couple days, and make sure you're listening more than you're talking, but be willing to jump in and help wherever you're asked and needed. Be aware, pay attention to what's going on, and and make sure you have a clear understanding of what the expectations are going to be for from you right from day one. I'm so glad you brought up that word expectations, Becky, because in my jerk research, what I find is that when we get mad at each other or when we think someone else is being intentionally mean, a lot of times that has to do with a misunderstanding in terms of what we expect of them or what they expect of us. So realizing that it may take some time to get those expectations under control uh, really helps the whole situation. Yeah. And from an owner perspective, even though, you know, I I was... uh employing uh, 50, 60 employees at any given time. When that new person was showing up, whatever position they were in, I was always there their first day. And I got two big tips, pro tips for you managers and owners out there. Number one, get there 20 minutes before they're supposed to, because we all know that on that first day, Typically, that new employee is going to show up at least 10, 15 minutes early. If they don't, that's a really bad sign. But I want to make sure that they see I'm there even earlier. Now, the old joke used to be that's the only time you'll ever see Dr. Ward early at our practice. But, you know, on a new new employee day, I definitely was always there. The second thing, especially from an owner perspective, is share your story. Why did you become a veterinarian? Why did you start this clinic? Why is this so important to you and your community? I mean, I want to make sure that we make an emotional bond from day one and they understand they don't just have a J-O-B, but they're part of a cause. They're part of a mission. And that mission is your own personality extending into the world. So for me, I was always really passionate and excited to share why I do what I do with the new employee. And of course, not everybody bought in and not everybody got it. You know, I'm sure people thought, you know, wow, why is this guy talking about saving these animals? You know, I just want to make 10 bucks an hour or whatever. But I think it's really important because you're trying to establish that culture that Cindy keeps talking about so that, you know, people want to stay around. I don't know. I totally agree with that. And I think that you set the tone and it's up to the veterinarian. You know, I think as a technician, there's nothing more discouraging than coming in on your first day and no one knows you were about to start. Uh, The veterinarian didn't really know there was a new employee coming on board. And so I think it's really important to make sure your staff knows that someone new is coming in. And I don't know if you guys have a way that you've dealt with that in your practice, but how do you prepare the staff before someone starts to let them kind of know who this new person's going to be? And Usually on my teams, someone is specifically kind of talked to ahead of time and is slated on the schedule to help train that person. And I think all of this, both what we've been talking about, about somebody leaving and somebody starting, really underlines the importance of having good training materials and good policies in place, because that makes transitions just a lot easier on the whole team. 
Absolutely. And, and this is also, it gets back to that one big thing that I talk about is that you have to build a team. You can't just have a star, you know. And so when you have just star, a star or two or three stars on your team, you really can't afford to leave, lose that star. So again, when you're building a team, these are people that broadly share responsibilities. They have a wide skill set that's applied or distributed, you know, throughout the entire group. And I mean, it's very, very important that you don't just cultivate those one or two practice divas, as I like to call them, but you also make sure that you are developing a real team culture. And recognizing how everybody contributes to your team. So someone might be really great at working with clients and someone else might be supporting all your team members emotionally behind the scenes. But that kind of emotional detoxification is still really, really valuable, even though it isn't something that normally makes its way onto the yearly review. Yeah, and I think that's a good point for onboarding new employees is letting them know each role that the member plays, especially on the support staff level, can make that support staff member really feel important and recognized within the team and let them know there is no threat of a new employee coming on board, that they're going to be a new team member. And the culture that you're creating will really set the tone for that new member going forward. So as this year comes to an end, whether you're ending a job or starting a new one, we hope this podcast has been useful for you. We're a community. I mean, we're a family. We are a tribe. We're here to support each other, and you need to find that support in your life. So I encourage all of you to go and seek that this year. Make this year your best ever. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. And leave us a review on your favorite podcasting site, especially iTunes. We would love to get five stars from you to start off the new year right. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Happy holidays! Happy holidays! Happy Take holidays. this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. My woman.